Our scripture this morning is in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our Father, at one time we were separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Such was our state. But now in Christ Jesus, you have brought us near by his blood. For he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and has reconciled us to yourself on the cross, killing the hostility between us and you, between us and one another. And now by the strength of what Christ has done, you invite us to come to the throne through the Holy Spirit with boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Jesus Christ. You, Father, the Lord of the universe, the God of all creation, the God of wonders beyond our galaxies, you have called us into communion with yourself on the basis of what your Son has accomplished and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have called us to live a life of prayer. And how I pray in the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ that you would teach this church to live that kind of a life. Oh, Father, we will fail again and again and again and again. But I pray that in your mercy and in your persistence, you would teach us to be a people of prayer. That you would teach us to be a people who long to be in the presence of their Father and commune with their Father. Oh, Lord, please keep from us the distractions of the flesh and the distractions of this world and the devices, the methods of the devil against us. Please, Father, by your strong hand, win the victory for us and teach us to be people of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we have been talking for the last several weeks about the subject of prayer from Ephesians 6.18, and we've learned quite a few things, but I want to reiterate three of them to you this morning. First of all, probably the most important thing we could say about these, this particular verse 
is that praying in the Spirit is praying in communion with God. So to pray in the Spirit is not just to pray in spiritual sounding language. And it's not to pray in the Holy Spirit. There are some, or, or to pray in tongues is what I mean. There are some who take this phrase to mean that, but I, I'm certain that that is not what this phrase means. What this phrase means, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit at all times, it means to pray in communion with God. It means to approach the Father on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who has come to dwell inside of us now. It means to live in conscious communion with our Father through the Holy Spirit. You can look at Ephesians two thirteen through 18 to see some grounding for why I say that. The second lesson that we learned actually harkens back to other sermons before we got to prayer, but it, it plays an important part. And that simply is that the Word of God is our only weapon in spiritual warfare. When we think about real life in Christ, when we walk out that door today and, and really try to live the life of Christians... There's only one thing that is available to us to use to actively defend against the devil and to actively attack him and actually take new ground. And that is the Word of God. Read Ephesians 6 carefully. This is the most important passage on spiritual warfare in the whole entire Bible. And it's clear there's one weapon that we have. And that weapon is the Word of God. It's the speech of God. It's the authority of God that reigns over the universe and reigns over all of our enemies and reigns over all of our souls as well. The third lesson is that the only way to wield that weapon of the Word is through prayer. Or if I could put that in another way, the only way that a Christian can use the weapon of the Word in battle is to be in communion with their Father. To be a, a Christian warrior and to be engaged in spiritual warfare is not a mechanical thing. It's a relational thing. It's about being connected with God. And then when you are connected with God, all of the power of God is there to fight on your behalf to accomplish the purposes of God. And so I say again, that the only way to wield the weapon of the Word is through the vehicle of praying. There is not another way. And I hope and pray that the Lord will teach us this more and more as we talk about prayer this week and two more weeks, Lord willing. For this week, I want to draw our attention to something in verse 18 that's hard to miss if you're reading it with any care at all. And that is all of the alls that are there. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul uses the word all four times in the space of one verse. As far as I know in the Bible, this is the biggest pile-up of alls anywhere in the Bible. And those of us who spend our lives trying to understand and interpret and live out the Scripture, we look at that and say Paul is trying to communicate something and he's trying to communicate it big time. He's really trying to get our attention about something, to pile up so many alls in such a short space. So let me take a few minutes this morning and just briefly say a few things about all of them. And then I'm going to focus our attention in on the third one, and, and we'll spend the whole sermon next week on the fourth one. As for the first one, Paul says that we are to pray in the Spirit at all times. I've been thinking about that phrase quite a lot for the last few weeks, and as I've thought about it, it sounds to me virtually identical to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Christian, 
Live a life of prayer that never stops. Pray and pray and pray and pray. Pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the morning. Pray at noon. Pray at night. Pray in the in-between times. Pray when you roll over it in bed in the middle of the night and kind of halfway wake up. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sad. Pray when things are going well. Pray when things are not going well. Pray when you're in the mood to pray. Pray when you're not in the mood to pray. Pray when the presence of the Lord seems so near and sweet to you. And pray when you feel like God is 10 million miles away from you. Pray when you've been obedient. Pray when you've been disobedient. Pray when you need help. Pray when you go out to help somebody else. Pray when you need wisdom. Pray when you're giving wisdom. Pray, 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 pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. Learn to live in constant conscious communion with your Father. Please hear that phrase. Constant conscious communion with your Father. That's what prayer is all about. And that's what the call to praying at all times is about. Pray without ceasing. It's not about just checking off a box or just doing a duty over and over again. It's about living in constant conscious communion with your Father. Being awake to His purposes in your life. Being awake to His presence in your life. Being awake to His power in your life. Being awake to the fact that in Christ He is always favorable towards you. He is always working all things together for the good of you who love Him and are called according to your purpose. Even when He allows you to suffer and to suffer for a long time, He's using that in your life. How will you be awake to that except by prayer? By being in constant and conscious awareness of your Father's presence and power in your life? In the life of the Christian, two things must always be there. And that is the Word and prayer. These two things work together to, for God to enact all of His purposes and plans in us. So pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. Live to, learn to be a person who lives to pray. As I said last week, human beings breathe and Christians pray. Learn what that means. The second all comes right on the heels of that. It says to pray with all prayer and supplication. I did some reading over the last few weeks, and there are some people who think that prayer and supplication are referring to two different types of prayer. That the word prayer is more of a just a general word, so just pray in all kinds of general ways. And the word supplication means to give specific requests. So that Paul would be saying here, pray in general ways and pray in specific ways. And that may be what this means, but I'm not so sure that it does. I think Paul is simply saying this, pray with all kinds of prayers. Pray with all kinds of supplications. In any way that you can think to pray within biblical bounds, pray. So pray verbal prayers. And as we talked about at the end of the sermon last week, sometimes you pray non-verbal prayers. Sometimes you're just being with your Father without words. But you're being with Him. You're being with Him. That is a kind of prayer because it is communion. It's a heart that's crying out to God and saying, I want to be in relationship with you, Father. I want to know you. I want to follow in your ways. I want to be transformed by your power. I want to do what my Father is doing. I want to be a Christian. Sometimes you say things like that to God without words. Do both things, verbal and nonverbal. 
Pray written prayers. I love the prayers of the Puritans, especially in that little book called The Valley of Vision. There may still be a copy of it out there, maybe not, but one way or the other, if you're not familiar with that, write that title down, The Valley of Vision. It's awesome. These people just so thoughtfully wrote down these prayers, and there is a way to use red prayers in a way that's spiritually fruitful. And then also we should pray spontaneous prayers. Sometimes we should pray boisterous, loud, passionate prayers. I have been in some prayer meetings where people were just crying as, as if in labor pains. I remember especially in Mexico, I have learned a lot about theology in America, but I've learned most about prayer in Mexico. Those people really know how to pray. We used to, I remember once I was preaching in a church in Mexico, and I got there a couple of hours early to see to some details, and already there were a bunch of people at the church on their knees in the pews praying. And I asked the pastor about that, and he said, oh, that's nothing uh, uh, official. It's nothing that we plan as a church. It's just the heart of our people. They just pray. So, and we saw this pretty much everywhere we went in Mexico. The people of Mexico, the people of God in Mexico, they just, they just know how to pray. And sometimes I remember being in meetings with them where there were just loud, earnest cries out to the Lord and they were praying in Spanish and I couldn't understand really anything that they were saying, but I could feel their hearts. And there's times where there is a place for that, where you literally are just screaming out to God in one way, shape, or form, or really celebrating God in very loud ways. That, that's okay. And then there's space for quiet prayers, silent prayers, where there are words, but it's more meditative and it's more... Um, just silent. So in heaven, it'll be a great thing to have Mexicans and Swedes both in heaven because we'll need the boisterous stuff and we'll need the quiet stuff. Both things. They're both good. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray all kinds of supplications. Pray prayers of praise. Pray prayers of adoration. Pray prayers of repentance. Pray prayers of request. Pray prayers that are just simply expressing your heart to God and asking Him for His presence in your life. The call to prayer is constant, but the type of prayer should change given the moment. So pray at all times. Pray at all times. Pray at all times. And pray in all kinds of different ways because different moments call for different kinds of prayer. So last night when I got home from the men's retreat, it's been a really good week, but it's been a very long week, and I was absolutely wiped out, exhausted. I got home, went down into my room, I laid my head on the pillow, and all I had it in my heart to say was, Oh, Father. And within seconds, I was snoring in the Spirit. I was just out. I was gone. But I fell asleep in prayer. Just two words, authentic from my heart, Oh, Father, and then sleep. In the middle of the night last night, I remember rolling over in the middle of the night and just half you know, maybe even only a third awake, I remember just saying to him again, Oh, Father. And then off again I was into sleep. It's just a, a way of crying out to God, totally subconsciously, obviously. I didn't have time to think about it when I was rolling over in the middle of the night. It was just a, a kind of prayer from a heart that wants to be connected with God. I'm doing so very imperfectly, but that's my passion. I just want to be conscious of my Father. And then this morning when I got up and went downstairs and opened up my Bible and looked over my sermon, I, I prayed with a lot of words to God, but silently in my heart. And then later in the morning I had the privilege of praying with my wife and we prayed out loud in a couple of different kinds of ways. And even now, even though I'm speaking to you, there's a part of me that's communing with my Father. Because I know that the only way that I can bear fruit here in this moment is if I'm connected to the vine. I have no power. I have nothing in me 
to say anything of worth to you this morning. Nothing in me. But if I'm connected to the vine, then I know that I will bear fruit that lasts. So there is a, in a, a sense, there's a part of me now even that's communing with the Father. The point is simply this. All kinds of different prayers are valid in different kinds of occasions. So as you learn what it means to pray at all times in the Spirit, learn to pray in all kinds of different ways. One way to maybe add a little bit of spice to your prayer life is to try some different things you haven't tried before. But one way or the other, pray and pray and pray and pray and pray by all kinds of different means. Pray all prayers and supplications. The next two alls I want to just mention very briefly because we're going to spend our time on one of them today and then we're going to spend the whole sermon next week on the fourth one. But the third one, if you look there right immediately after, it simply says, keep alert with all perseverance. And that's the one we'll talk about today. And then finally it says, making supplication for all the saints. And that's the one that we will look at next week. Four alls in just one verse. I think when you step back and contemplate all of these alls, and again, giving consideration to the fact that they happen so quickly. You, you know, you hardly have any other words between the alls. They're just coming so quickly. I think you can't help but reach the conclusion that Paul is trying to say to us, Beloved, prayer really matters. Prayer really matters. It matters big time. Along with righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and all the other parts of the armor. Prayer is an essential part of life in Christ. When I say essential, I mean without prayer you have no hope of victory in battle. You have no hope of growing in Christ and, and advancing against the enemy. You have no hope. We must be a people of prayer. Prayer really, 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 really matters. I want you to notice here that just as, you know, the sword is the only offensive weapon in the armor, you can look at all the other pieces, but the only thing that we use as an offensive weapon is the sword. In that same way, we're only directly called to take one action in this text. This is the most important text on spiritual warfare in the whole Bible. It only calls us to one action, and that is to pray. So that will tell you something. Prayer is absolutely essential to the life in Christ. I know some of you struggle with being persuaded by that. Just keep contemplating on the Word because the Word is very clear. Prayer really, really, really matters. And this is not just from Ephesians 6.18. This is found throughout the whole New Testament. I'm not going to take you to any place to show you that, but I do think in the coming weeks... I have it on my heart to just sort of lay out in one sheet of paper every verse that mentions prayer in the New Testament, maybe make a couple of comments about it, and then just distribute that to you as a handout later. Because I want you to see that throughout the whole New Testament, the life of prayer is absolutely essential to life in Christ. We as individual people, as households, and as a church, we cannot advance in Christ if we don't learn to pray in the Spirit at all times. It is extremely important. So much so that Jesus Christ... you remember the scene in His life? To me, this is one of the most perplexing scenes in the life of Jesus because it's just not in accordance with the way we tend to think about Jesus. We tend to think about Him as meek and mild, in control of Himself. Well, one day, you know, in a manner of speaking, Jesus lost it. He got really, really, really angry. 
He didn't lose it because he was in full control of himself. But you get the point. And you remember the story, I'm sure. He goes to the temple to worship his father. And what does he see? He sees all of these people taking advantage of the people of God and making tons of money off of them because they were in desperate situations. They needed tools to worship God at the temple. And so it wasn't a sin that, that there were folks there selling them those things like sheep and goats and pigeons and all of that, that wasn't the sin. The sin was they were jacking up the prices in huge ways. So I don't know what the numbers would be, but let's just say a pigeon would have been worth 10 bucks. Well, they were selling it to people for 20 bucks, maybe 30 bucks. They were gouging the people in the name of God, and this enraged Jesus. So Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, meek and mild, he put together a cat of nine tails, a, a whip, with nine strands and pieces of pottery tied to the end, and he physically drove these people out of the temple. You ever given much time to thinking about that, Jesus? Man, that just frightens the heck out of me, as I think if I am a hypocrite in the house of God, Jesus will not be happy with me. And here's a day when he showed that. And then what did he say after he drove them out of the temple? He said some profound words. He said, My Father's house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. You've made it into a den for robbers and thieves, but my father said that his house should be called a house of prayer. That, that's amazing. God could have called his house a lot of different things. He could have characterized his house in a lot of different ways. There are many valid and important things he could have said. And of all of those things, he chose prayer. My house, this is coming, by the way, from Isaiah 56, so it wasn't original with the mouth of Jesus. 800 years before Christ walked the earth, the Father had already said, My temple, my house, and now in Jesus Christ, we are that house. You can see that in Ephesians 2 as well. We are that house. My house will be called a house of prayer. My people will be characterized by living a life where they're calling out to me ever and always. By praying in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and supplications. This will be the aroma that is upon my people. And so the picture is not just in Ephesians 6.18, but throughout the New Testament that prayer really, really, really matters. It is the aroma that the Father means for us to be clothed with. Now with that in mind, let's think uh, more carefully about this little phrase, keeping alert with all perseverance. Really important phrase. This word keep alert in Greek is uh, just one word, so we have two words in our English translation, but in the Greek it's just one word, and literally this word means to stay awake. Okay? So get that picture in your head. I wish they would translate it literally both here and elsewhere because most often there are times where I read this in context, read this word in context and feel like keep alert is probably a good translation. But a lot of times I just wish they'd say stay awake because I think what Paul is trying to say is that the way you stay awake to the things of the Spirit is by praying in the Spirit at all times. The way you stay awake to the movement of the Father in your life is by praying in the Spirit at all times. The way you stay aware to what the enemy is doing all around you at all times is, is by praying in the Spirit at all times. And if you fail to pray, then you end up falling asleep. The one who prays will be awake in the Spirit. The one who fails to pray will fall asleep in the Spirit. And this is a pretty serious thing. Because soldiers who fall asleep on the battlefield almost always die. They almost always die. 
You could put the whole armor of God on, but you will put it on in vain if you fall asleep in the day of battle. Soldiers who fall asleep in the midst of a heated battle almost always die. And so it's extremely important that we not let ourselves fall asleep, but that we stay awake. And the Bible's very clear. The way you stay awake is by the Word and prayer. If you don't give yourselves to the Word and prayer, you will fall asleep to the things of the Spirit. You will be struck by the flaming darts of the evil one. You will experience defeat. And so, stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake in prayer. I want to take you to several places, and uh, I'll just have you turn there with me. I didn't put these up on the PowerPoint because it was just too numerous to put up there. But let's start at Matthew 24, verse 38. Matthew 24, 38. I just want to read for you about five or six texts. I'm not going to say much about these if I say anything about them at all. But I want you to see that this call to stay awake is not just here in Ephesians, but it's around the New Testament, and it's serious. So, Matthew 24, 38. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So the second coming of Jesus is what we have in mind here. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. So in light of the impending coming of Christ, here are the words of our Lord. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Oh, may the Lord grant that we not be sleeping when He comes. Matthew 26 now, if you could just flip over a couple chapters. Matthew 26, starting in verse 38. This is Jesus in the garden. Then he said to them, his disciples, especially in particular, I mean Peter, John, and James, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. That word watch is the same word. It means stay awake. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch? You could not stay awake with me even for just one hour? Watch, stay awake, and pray, and pray, and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So stay awake. Otherwise, you will fall asleep and fall right into temptation, right into the trap of the devil. Stay awake and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray in the Spirit at all times. Luke 21, 34 to 36. Luke writes, But watch yourselves. And again, that is the word that means stay awake. But be awake to yourselves is one way you could translate this. Be awake to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And he's talking, obviously, about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But stay awake. Here the translators put it literally. 
Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Beloved, when Jesus Christ comes, again, it will not be a happy day for many, many, many people. And the Lord is saying, if you want that to be a happy day for you, then stay awake. Do not fall asleep. Be vigilant. It's been a long time. Granted, 2,000 years. But the truth remains. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. He could come back in the middle of this sermon. Would we be awake? Would we be ready? Would Would we be aware of His presence? Would it be a happy moment where we enter into His happiness? Or would we be one of those who hear those terrible, terrifying words, I never knew you. You spent your life speaking my name, but you were asleep to me. What will it be for us? Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Be vigilant about these things because the Lord is coming. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 29. Paul, as you know, um, he actually wasn't the original one to share the gospel in Ephesus. It's a pretty interesting story. He, uh, when he got to Ephesus, there was already a guy named Apollos who had been witnessing there. And so there was already some believers in Ephesus. But Paul still basically was the one who founded the church in Ephesus. He spent three years there. And then he took off. And at some point he felt the Lord calling him to go back to Jerusalem. And Paul knew for a fact that he was going to give his life there through that journey. So on his way from what we now call Greece over to Jerusalem, he decided to stop by and meet with the elders of the church of Ephesus. The church is now probably 10, 15, 20 years old, something like that. And they have a group of elders. So Paul calls the elders to him. He meets with them and he says a number of things, among which are these words, starting in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fears wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. There's the word. Stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So stay awake, because one of the ways that the devil wants to distract you and undercut you from the reality and the presence of Jesus Christ in your life is by sending fierce wolves into the church. And some of us, I pray that this would never be true, but Paul said to the elders... Not just the members of that church, but the elders. He said, some of you are going to rise up and speak twisted things. May God spare us from this. But how will you know if you're not awake? How will you know if you're being lulled to sleep by the comforts of the world and the busyness of your life and you stop paying attention and you just fall asleep? How will you know? Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Because there are people in this world in the body of Christ, in the evangelical church right now, who are teaching twisted things. Are you able to see it? Can you even smell it? Do you even know it? And I ask that question with some amount of grief because I look at the editorial boards of some of the major magazines in Christendom right now, and they obviously can't smell it because they're printing this garbage in one after another of their magazines. They don't even see false doctrine anymore. They don't see it. Why? They've fallen asleep. 
they've let the power of church growth or the busyness of their lives or whatever lull them to sleep and they've let some fierce wolves right into the body of Christ. Beware. Are you awake to this? Are you alert? Are you awake? Are you aware? First Peter 5. Let's go there. I still have two more texts that I want to go to. First Peter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 6 and I'll go to verse 11. Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Being sober-minded, be watchful. There it is in verse 8. That Again, it literally means stay awake. Be sober-minded and stay awake. Stay awake. Why, Peter? Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be awake. Because you have a real enemy who is really out to devour you. This war that we're talking about in Ephesians 6 is not a theoretical war. It's a real war. And if you're not awake, you are going to be devoured. So by the strength and mercy of Christ, praying at all times in the Spirit, stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. The stakes are very high. Probably higher than any of us, including me, realizes. Let's go to one more text. Revelation 3. I want to read the whole letter to the church of Sardis. So this is Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Piercing words. Think especially in a land like America, where we have been lulled to sleep by the comforts of our flesh and the busyness of our life. We need to hear this from the Lord. And to the angels of the church in Sardis writes, The words of Him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your work complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I, Jesus Christ, will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, and for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beloved, this call to stay awake is not unique to Ephesians 6. I've read only about half of the texts that are there. And if you look at the same idea expressed in other words, there probably are upwards of 25 or 30 times where the Bible very clearly calls us, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And Ephesians 6.18, among other places, makes very clear how this happens. You are to stay awake by praying in the Spirit at all times. Live in constant conscious awareness of your Father. 
Live in communion with Him. That is how you stay awake. It's a very high calling. It's a very serious calling, but it's not rocket science. It just is seek your Father and seek Him and seek Him and seek Him. As I was driving up to the men's retreat this week, I saw a church with a big, huge sign out in front and said, Seek the Lord while He may be found. And my heart just leapt for joy. I said, Amen. Amen. And let this heart, Father, let this heart, Father, seek you while you may be found. And may that be so for all of us. Paul really means business about calling us to prayer. So he says not only stay awake, but he adds these words, with all perseverance. With all perseverance. There are several Greek words that are translated perseverance in the New Testament. This one in particular is the only time that it's used in the Bible actually. And it's a very strong word. I put up here a literal uh, meaning of it. Just kind of an expanded meaning is really more what I meant to say. This word means to continue doing something with intense effort despite difficulties. So whatever the task is before you, you're doing it very intensely. You're giving all of your heart and you're pressing on in it despite the difficulties. So one of my dictionaries suggested that this word be translated unremitting persistence. It's a persistent persistence. It's a persistence that just keeps on moving and will not give up. No matter what the failure, no matter what the difficulty, it just keeps moving forward, keeps moving forward, keeps moving on, keeps giving an intense effort, a fierce commitment. It's a kind of commitment that is unstoppable. And so Paul is saying, Beloved, pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer and supplication, keeping alert in it with an unremitting persistence. With a kind of commitment that just will not give up. Be fierce about becoming a man or a woman of prayer. Be utterly committed to it. Let nothing stop you. Press in, press on, and no matter what you do, do not give up. Make war against your flesh which is constantly trying to give you excuses for why you cannot pray. Yes, you can. War against that. War against this world who is constantly trying to woo you away with its comforts and its distractions to keep you from seeking the true treasure which is our Father. War against it. Press on in prayer. War against the devil who will do anything he can to stop you from praying. And you know why? Because the way you wield the word against the devil is through prayer. Have you ever heard that saying? The devil trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on their knees. And that's true. That's true. Because it's by depending on the might of God that the blow is struck against the enemy. He will do whatever he has to do to keep you from praying. Don't listen to him. Persist in prayer. Never give up. You'll fail. You'll fall. You'll fall short of your own expectations, much less God's. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing hard. Be persistent in prayer. Fight with everything that is in you. Beloved, this call is a very strong call. I've, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about prayer. Ian Bounds is someone who's helped me a lot in this respect. I remember my senior sermon in seminary was on Colossians 4.2, staying awake in prayer. And that was in, what, 1996 or 7 in there somewhere. So the Lord has led me to think about prayer quite a lot over the last decade or so. And I think that the call in Ephesians 6.18 is is as high as any, maybe higher than any. 
It is calling us to prayer and to mean business about prayer. There's no doubt about that. So in light of the height, the intensity, the extremity of this calling, I want to close with just four words of encouragement for you this morning. Number one, if you're thinking about now walking in obedience to Ephesians 6.18, and I hope that you will do that. Number one, let me just say right off the bat, there's not a person in this room who can obey this verse on their own strength. Not one of us. Paul himself could not obey the command that he wrote in Ephesians 6.18, not in his own strength. And so please don't feel a legalistic, fleshly kind of compulsion on you right now. Just please don't allow this call to prayer to weight you down in a way that it was not meant to weight you down because you cannot do this in your own strength, and your Father knows that. But praise be to God, He only calls us to do things that He's willing to help us do. Amen? He will not call you to do anything that He is not willing to help you do. So rely on the strength of God. That's the first point here. As you learn to build a life of prayer, do so on the strength of God. Don't trust in yourself. Lean on the Lord all with all of your might. Number two, very encouraging for me, the Lord is not only willing to help, but He's incredibly merciful. So that when we fall, when we fail, when we come short of our Father's calling in our lives, He's there to be merciful to us. The Bible is so clear. God is slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in mercy. And especially toward those in Christ, He is ever and always merciful toward you. All the promises of God in Christ for you are yes and yes and yes and yes, Paul said in another place. That simply means God is on your side. God is favorably disposed towards you in Christ. He wants to help you. And when you fail, He is there to be merciful towards you. I can imagine that some of you probably feel a sense of guilt as we've talked about prayer over the last couple of weeks. I have had a few conversations where I can hear that in the conversation, at least implicitly. And there is a measure to which we probably should receive that guilt because... The Holy Spirit does grieve over our sin, doesn't He? Ephesians 6, uh, 30, I think in there somewhere, says that the Holy Spirit grieves uh, about our sin. And so I think He does want us to grieve in a way over our sin. But here's the thing. The grief that comes from the Holy Spirit is a grief that leads to change. It's a grief that leads to repentance. It's the kind of grief that says, yes, you've sinned, yes, you've fallen, but come on, let's get up and let's move on. That's behind us, forgetting what's behind and pressing on toward what is to come. I just, I'm just saying, get up and let's go. Let's go. That's the kind of grief the Holy Spirit gives. We grieve about the past, but we move forward. The kind of grief that the devil gives is the kind that wants to paralyze you and keep you down. It's the kind that says you're no good, you're nothing, you'll never be able to do this, you're just a hypocrite, or whatever he might say to you. It's the kind of grief that wants to paralyze, that wants to kill, that wants to destroy. If you're feeling that, just ask the Lord to rebuke the devil off of you. Be at peace because your Father is merciful. He is so willing to forgive every single time you fall. He's willing to grab you by the hand and teach you to walk in His ways. So, indeed, press on in prayer, but depend on the mercy of your Father that will help you when you fail. Number three, as you begin to think about exactly what the Lord might be asking you to do in prayer, and I hope that you'll do this, I hope that one of the outcomes of this morning will be that you'll spend a little bit of time thinking about this question. Father, 
What exactly would you like me to do now in response to this call to prayer? What steps should I take? And as you think about that, I would just want to invite you not to be overwhelmed about the totality of what you need to do with prayer in your life, but just to take one or two small steps. Build a little bit of momentum and then take other steps after that. So for me, there are a couple things that I'm working on right now. One is to sharpen up my times in the morning with the Lord. I've been disciplined by the grace of God over the last 23 years to almost always have a time with the Lord first thing in the morning. But the thing that I struggle with from time to time is that, that I'll sometimes just go through the motions of my quiet time and never really connect with God. So I'm sure that many of you have been there. I did the thing, but I, I never connected with the heart of my Father. And lately, I've been pretty busy, and I just feel like in my quiet times, I've been busy-hearted with God. And so He's leading me to just learn to slow down a little bit, take some breaths, and make sure that I connect with Him. Maybe even do a little bit less in my quiet time so that I can make sure and connect with Him heart to heart. And then the other thing I'm doing is Kim and I are just trying to strengthen our prayer life together. We're trying to make a commitment to pray together every single day that we can possibly do it. This last couple days I was out of town and so we were unable. I did have a signal on my phone, but it was a roaming uh, signal and I, I'm cheap so I didn't want to call her up and pray. I just figured I'd pray here and she'd pray there and we wouldn't have to pay anybody for it. But every day that we can possibly do it, we're just saying, even if it's just two or three minutes, even if we can just sneak a little bit of time before we run out the door, we're going to pray together and pray together and pray together. And I praise God for His mercy in the fruit that's already being born by that in our hearts and in our marriage. I don't know what the steps are for you. But whatever they are, don't be overwhelmed by the big thing. Just take a couple of specific steps. The Lord will show you what to do afterwards. And finally, I just want to say to you one more time, beloved, trust in the Lord, and no matter what, do not give up. Do not give up. To be a Christian is to be a man or a woman of prayer. So do not give up. Keep pressing in. Keep striving. Be unremittingly persistent, and do not give up. Let's pray. Our Father, how I thank you for your mercy in Christ, for creating a way that we could even possibly have communion with you, for inviting us into your presence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for giving us the Word of God so that we would know how to pray according to your will and have words to pray to you. I thank you for wanting to be in communion with us and not just to do sort of spiritual or business-like transactions with us. I love you for your heart for relationship, Father. Thank you so much for that. I love you for the call of Ephesians 6.18 to rise up and to be a people who are always in conscious communion with you. And I simply pray now, Father, that you would help us to obey the command that you have put upon us today. You are calling us to be a people of prayer. And now I ask you to work this in us. It makes me think, Father, um, of Philippians 2.12 and 13, which says... Uh, work these things out with fear and trembling because it's God that is working in you. So, Father, cause us to work hard. Cause us to be un unremittingly persistent in these things. But as we do, may it be your power at work in us that's causing us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We love you, Father. And in advance of seeing what you'll do, we thank you for making Glory of Christ Fellowship a people of prayer. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.